Incident Report 2498-1988-0212. On February 12th, shortly following the cessation of Arjun Ramakrishna Rao's biological functions, strange lights were sighted in 15 towns and cities in Andhra Pradesh and neighboring Karnataka state. Witnesses saw a chain of disks of white light descend from the sky and hover just below cloud level, unfolding itself from the inside out in a counterclockwise direction. It is unknown if reports of nausea due to viewing the lights are a result of latent cognitohazardous effects or a natural consequence of perceiving three-dimensional projections of higher-dimensional phenomena. At first I saw the sun start to spin. It was pale and did not hurt my eyes when I looked at it though I felt my head spin as if it was a part of the sun itself. Then it, the disk of the sun, itself it descended from above the clouds, and it shimmered into thirteen pieces, still dull like the color of the moon. Before our eyes they spiraled down like a spear, twisting and turning, pushing the clouds aside in their wake, and I turned to my husband and whispered, My God, the sky is broken. Witness statement reported in the New Bombay Times, dated February 13, 1988. At approximately 2300 hours, the last of the lights appeared above Hyderabad and struck the rooftop of the city hall, setting it ablaze. Despite Foundation information concealment efforts, the spreading of rumors of holy sightings drew an estimated 60,000 pilgrims from neighboring states into Hyderabad over the following two weeks. News of the event soon spread overseas and was reported in several Western tabloids. In the Adaya footage, one can clearly see three crowns, signifying the three magi before Jesus. The correspondent from which the photograph was sourced instead professes that the lights are in the shape of the seated Buddha. However, most of the witnesses, as our newspaper understands, saw in the lights the threefold faces of the Trimurti beset into visible form. Another interesting theory originates from one Catherine R. Gansfeld, writing for the Californian Journal of Gnostic Truth. In her article, she put forth that the three lights in the Adaya footage resembled not divinity, but a wheel, and that the pattern between them formed the spokes of the world. Excerpt from Californian esoteric publication, A Discordian Directory, dated April 1st, 1988. On the same day in Kurnool, raised letters were found appearing on 92 wall and door surfaces throughout the old city center. Text appeared as fragments in English of the phrases, the sky is cold and I am not alone, and is quickly concealed or removed by embedded foundation cover-up crews. Rumors of the phenomenon nevertheless spread and drew some amount of attention in connection with the holy sightings before being denounced by local authorities as simple acts of vandalism. Seven hours following the events of February 12th, the body of Rao began to emit hazardous levels of radiation at up to 120 millisieverts per hour, more than 80,000 times the recommended safe level. Personnel were hastily evacuated from the premises and lead shielding was installed around the experimentation room. Inexplicably, all equipment inside the room remained operational throughout, showing no signs of being affected by the radiation. On February 14th, the decision was officially made by Dr. Rajaputram to seal off the remains of Rao inside experimentation room B204B. 
Shortly after the room was sealed, Rao's voice began to play on the speakers of the monitoring equipment in neighboring observation room B204A. It was quickly established that Rao was able to communicate with personnel through the equipment and that he still maintained a degree of sentience. The decision was made shortly afterwards to classify Rao as SCP-2498. View Attachment Incident 2498-1988-0817 Transcript of SCP-2498 communication log dated February 14, 1988 2498-101-1987-0214-0901 Length 2 minutes 5 seconds Start of transcript. Simos. Arjun, you still there? It's me. It's Joe Simos. There is the sound of static. SCP-2498. I know. Simos. You said that you weren't alone. 2498. Stars. Mountains. Things move in the deep. Are they the reason for the anomalous phenomenon? As an anchor stirs the seafloor sands, and you are the anchor? I think I am the ship in the storm. There are other ships here. They feel my breath upon the waters and they wake. They're curious. So will you... Are these entities a threat to humanity or consensus normalcy? I cannot tell. They have always been here. If they are a threat, will you help us? Your question hides another. The Foundation strongly believes you to be capable of large-scale changes in the physical world. And our specialists, our colleagues, are inclined to believe that you've somehow achieved a certain esoteric significance. Joe, you are reticent. Speak plainly, I can see. Arjun, you know as well as I do, many of us here don't feel, well, I don't feel, that you are yourself anymore. I know. I understand. I'm sorry, but there is just too much here to take in. One cannot do but change. Well, you must know exactly what I think of you. You do not need to apologize for it. I hope not. In any case, you have my word that I am not a threat. I answer to the sky and the wheel, and as the wheel spins, I answer to the foundation still, but it will not be for long. What proof do you have of this continued allegiance? Again, you speak from the script. I have only my word to give. Our foundation will just have to believe just as it believes that the words of a friend can sway the mind of a god, just as you believe that the world can keep on spinning even as we've seen reality bend ten hundred different ways in front of our eyes. I know you believe it too, and I wish you well. You would do best continuing to wish that. A bigger storm approaches. When? How? I will need you to do me a favor, Jocasta Simos. What kind of favor do I owe a god? Jocasta, my friend, I will need you to be strong. End of transcript. Testimony from Redacted. Archival Department Manager, Liaison to the Office of 055, dated February 15, 1991. No, we weren't planning to utilize the Rainbow Body Project for anything beyond passive surveillance. The project team actually did write to us with those concerns at some point in the 70s, Dr. Rajaputram at one point did fear some kind of takeover from us when the war with Pakistan began, but we had to make that choice in Woodvale more than 20 years ago. He didn't know that, of course, but we did so then. At the time, 
we ended up pushing the button painfully and out of necessity, and we vowed never to do it again. Of course, we had to pack it up. There was too much at stake. We'd agreed that we would only assist the war effort so far, in exchange for our safety. But the nature of the deal changed when the nature of our asset changed. We didn't think that our involvement in India would be ending anytime soon. We trusted the IAF in the way that we thought they trusted us. But the proposal had already been submitted by the project head, and our contacts would come calling at any moment to take it over. What would they have done if they had discovered their key asset dead, or transcended, or whatever you want to call 2498? If we had let another party within the Foundation get their hands on the project before we did, suffice to say that things would have escalated a lot sooner. So in lieu of letting our own Foundation gut itself over an ethical mishap, 055 made his decision, and we backed him up on that. The concern of your committee is warranted. The situation, if I may say so myself, was completely right back then. By 83, the Americans were flying into Peshawar every week. Reports were coming in from the Afghan front. Soldiers charging through minefields on wings of air, bombs that ate gunmetal and left nothing else untouched. You've read the docs, seen the photos. We suspected salvaged Soviet paratech, but then the spears of light rained down on Jawar in 85, and it became clear to us that action had to be taken, lest the world ended up with a second Iran. But there was nothing we had left to bargain with, nothing we had dared to use. Lest we end up like them. 055 had said, I remember. We turtled inwards and kept our eyes open. Though we could do nothing to prevent the horrors from unfolding, we could at least ensure our safety. And as long as we were safe, we would abide to our ethics and abide to our rules and wait out the storm around us. So believe me when I say that everything we did was in the interest of containment and nothing more. While there certainly were reasons to do so, we at the office of 055 had absolutely nothing to do with the armed takeover of adjunct site 2498 on the 17th of August, 1988. Incident report 2498-1988-0817. Clearance 3 brief. At 12.47 hours, surveillance footage of Andhra Pradesh University showed an unmarked white lorry pulling into the university's compound. Its truck bed was covered with black tarpaulin. In the footage, it parks out of sight behind the Department of Architecture before the tarpaulin slips off the truck bed and the footage flares to white. This anomaly affected both the university's and foundation's closed-circuit camera systems for the following three hours. At 12.49 hours, five men entered the Department of Parapsychology with a pushcart and requested access to the basement level to perform plumbing maintenance. The duty receptionist Sanvi Gupta confirmed that there had been a pipe leakage in the women's bathroom in the first basement and that repairs had been scheduled for that day. Once the men had gained access to the first basement, they immediately proceeded to the women's bathroom with Gupta. They requested her to enter the bathroom first to make sure it was empty before they commenced repairs. When her back was turned, one of the men rendered Gupta unconscious with an electronic stun gun. Two of the five men then entered the bathroom and similarly subdued Foundation nurse Siti Agarwal. They removed her access card as well as the tip of her left pointer finger. 
Gupta and Agarwal were then tied up and gagged before being placed in the janitor's storage cubicle. The men then entered the second basement level via the concealed doorway in the basement lobby using Agarwal's access card and severed fingertip. They were confronted by the four on-site security staff in the main hallway before the site compound. In the ensuing firefight, the men incapacitated three of the security staff and killed Agent Richard Parsons as he activated the on-site distress signal. Meanwhile, Site 36 received Parsons' distress signal and immediately moved to respond. Once inside adjunct Site 2498, the men conducted a sweep of the offices, staff quarters, and experimental subject quarters, overpowering and restraining non-key personnel as they went. Key personnel Dr. Govind Rajaputram, Dr. Vignes Ganeshan, and researcher Priyanka Acharya were brought to the site's meeting room instead. Franz Ziegler and specialist Jocasta Simos were not among them, having initially evaded capture. Voice recorders in observation room B204A were still functioning when two of the men entered at 1336 hours. They appeared to be under the belief that SCP-2498 was some form of voice-controlled remote weapon and attempted unsuccessfully to activate it. At 1341 hours, Dr. Rajaputram was brought into the observation room and was ordered to activate SCP-2498 at gunpoint. He refused. At that point, SCP-2498 complied to the men's demands. After communicating with their leader, the men restrained Dr. Rajaputram and left the premises on their vehicle. MTF Kappa-17 soon arrived on the scene under the cover of local law enforcement and took over the situation. The men were known to have dispersed into three groups of two following the attack, abandoning the lorry approximately two kilometers from the university. The first group was apprehended at 1356 hours by members of MTF Kappa 16 and avoided capture by committing suicide with cyanide capsules. The second group was tracked to an apartment in the Port District, which was stormed by Kappa 16 operatives at 1358 hours. The attackers were shot and killed in the resultant shootout. Foundation Intelligence later tracked the last group traveling to a remote location outside Visakhapatnam, Andhra Pradesh. Anomalous assets were deployed from Site 36, and destruction of the getaway vehicle was confirmed by 1401 hours. However, the bodies of the two men were not found among the recovered wreckage. Head researcher Ziegler and specialist Simos later sent a distress signal at 1458 hours from a site evacuation safe house a short distance away from adjunct site 2498. Ziegler surrendered himself to Foundation security forces and requested immediate medical assistance for Simos. Simos was airlifted to site 36 and hospitalized while Ziegler was brought into custody under suspicion of aiding the attack. SCP-2498 remained unresponsive following the incident. The Foundation recovery team that broke the seal on room B204B reported that it was devoid of both the rainbow body equipment and the body of Arjun Rao. Despite this, gamma radiation continued to be detected emanating from within the room at 100 millisieverts per hour. Following revision of existing documentation, 
SCP-2498 was reclassified as neutralized. View attachment, level 3-2498, additional documentation, standard dream report, 66Y-2498, reconstructed. Form 66Y, standard dream report. Personnel, specialist Jocasta Simos, estimated degree of recall 90%. Likelihood of actionable intelligence, high unknown. God, I don't know. Description. I would like to report a series of dreams that I believe I received from SCP-2498. Altogether, I cannot remember the number of them, but I'm sure that the last of them came last night. They came in three forms. The first happened around the beginning of July and continued for roughly two weeks. In those dreams, I was alone in a large gray space, with light set into the ceiling, just like in the office. I had those dreams even at home when I was on rest. There was a murky quality to the dream and a vast faint sound from a distance like the chanting of a prayer. Whenever I tried to move towards it, however, I found myself blocked by a shadow. There was a kind of great distance between me and everything else, stopping me from breaking through, like I had myself receded into a point inside my chest. When I awoke, I had the faint memory of an old friend calling and a kind of ringing in my ears. I did not report these dreams due to their highly indefinite nature. Instead, I started visiting SCP-2498 on a regular basis, under the suspicion that it was responsible for them. But he grew gradually incoherent, and I could not talk to him at all without breaking down into tears. I stopped visiting SCP-2498 after a while, when Ziegler persuaded me not to. I went with it because to me it was clear that SCP-2498 could not provide any more answers in person. Instead, I tried to pay more attention to the dreams. In mid-July, they began to change into something with a more recognizable shape. My vision in the dreams began to clear, and it felt to me that I was actually on the inside of some kind of bell, looking outwards. I began to understand why that I had difficulty moving in any direction, because the dream only had two outside and in. One night I finally worked up the courage to look away from the outside and found myself gazing at SCP-2498. He was the shadow that had blocked me from within, and I was inside his mind looking out. SCP-2498 did not look like he was in real life, while he still bore the shape of a man in the dream bell. It was not the intubated, wasted figure that I last saw on the bed in the room. He was a whole man again, and his body was covered with eyes. As new senses awoke within me, I perceived that his body also shimmered like the evening sky I use the word perceive here deliberately, because it was only then, when my senses fully came into being, that I began to have an understanding of what it had meant for the project's participants to see. I understood then as well what SCP-2498 had meant back then when I was first sent to talk with his corpse. One did not see in the eyes of the rainbow body one merely understood. Gradually, the shapes outside became more definite and more chaotic as the gray turned into a blur of movement in freeze frames or lightning speed like a film gone mad. Lights turned into dark, turned into shapes, and the shapes spun and the gray spun with all colors at once, and I wanted to scream with terror. Even worse were the moments of silence when long shadows would cross the cornucopia 
swimming through the deep surfacing and unsurfacing from the world at will. It connotated to me the sudden fearful notion that this was not all that there were other realms, other seas like Rao had said of the skies beyond skies and the shells beyond shells. I was looking at the mountains that he spoke of. I was seeing what SCP-2498 was seeing, held his complete knowledge of all things, but I did not hold his comprehension. The peace he seemed to hold within the bell, and I think I would have gone mad if it were not for the filter of the dream upon my rational mind. I experienced that type of dream, that nightmare, for a long, long time, sitting within his mind for what felt like weeks, watching and watching, and unable to look away. Sometimes I woke in tears. Slowly, I learned to accept the chaos and subsume part of it as my own. The shadow no longer prevented me from moving out. All I needed was to focus inwards and search his mind and I could attempt remotely the art of seeing as he saw, knowing as he knew. Stealing my mind, I managed to recognize, or thought I did, familiar faces and histories, most of them my own. I perceived my many possible futures and an even greater multitude of pasts, though I couldn't read them, for they were so fast. Growingly, I also felt something in the space reaching out towards me, as I reached toward my visions. It was like a smell of something long forgotten, tinged with the smell of death. I recognized that sensation in full, only in the third and final dream sequence, which happened last night. Here is the dream. I opened my eyes to find that I was myself, and I was also SCP-2498. I no longer looked through his eyes, for they were mine as well. In his voice, I asked SCP-2498 if he had a message to give. In my voice, SCP-2498 answered. He spoke to me in words that came all at once, in one sound like rolling waves or unfurling cloth, whose meaning I only grasped when I awoke. In total, he said four words to me that night. The first word that he said had the meaning of, Listen very carefully. In the best of all worlds, I am twice dead. The second word that he said was a series of signs, or signals, through which I would know that he would die that day. They were the knocks on the door, the kiss on the cheek, and the silence of the birds. The third word that he said had the meaning of, it is by your hand that I will die a second death. The last word that he said contained the instructions as to how. Through his body I protested, thrashing against the dream's veil. Through his mouth I questioned, why me? Why this? I think I wept through his eyes too. Then I awoke and immediately understood. Thus concludes the report of my dreams. Note. The document above is transcribed from an unsubmitted 66Y form found in a drawer of Specialist Simos's desk. The document was handwritten and the ink was heavily smeared with numerous corrections. In her subsequent testimony, Specialist Simos claimed that she had intended to submit the document to Dr. Rajaputram. However, she later admitted she did not believe that relaying the contents of her dreams to her superiors would have changed the outcome of future events. Subapathy 5, Archival Department.